Good morning, good morning, good morning, Resurrection Baptist Church. This is a mighty day. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. On behalf of our senior pastor, Pastor Ray Brown, and all of our leaders, I want to welcome you to our Sunday worship experience. Welcome. It is our prayer that something is said or done today that will cause you to draw just a little bit closer to God. If you are visiting for the very first time in person or online, we especially want to thank you for joining us. We want to connect with you. If you don't mind, go ahead and text the word GUEST to 830-689-8074 so that we can get to know you a little better and send a special gift from Resurrection. Well, Resurrection family, it is time to move a little bit higher in worship. The magnification ministry, the anointed men and women of God are ready to lead us into the worship, taking us a little bit higher, and after we will have a dynamic and powerful word from our pastor. We are excited about what the Lord is going to do today through his word. Grab your Bibles, and let's worship the Lord together. Amen. We are excited this morning. Come on, let's give God a hand praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our worship this morning. He's worthy back there at the corner. He's worthy of our worship. Let's enjoy Jesus through the ministry of Tia Durant. Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, that's not just, that's an action word. Praise the Lord, everybody. Come on, over here. Praise the Lord, everybody. We only got one rule this morning. Whatever we do, we do together. So I'll say it again. Praise the Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Can we take about five seconds to worship Jesus? For he's good. He's kind. My grandmother used to say with my two hands and my one mouth, bless the name of the Lord so with your two hands and your one mouth magnify Jesus hallelujah I'm so excited to be worshiping with you all from all the way from South Carolina it's such a privilege to be in the house of the Lord I feel at home so we're just gonna worship together thank you Jesus let the glory of the Lord rise among us y'all ready to worship the Lord this morning Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Somebody shout glory. Hallelujah. So right here, everybody, hey. Everybody clap your hands. Come on. Let the glory of the 
rise among us. Let the praises of our King rise among us. Oh, let it rise. Oh, oh, oh. let it rise. Oh, oh. let it rise. Put your hands together. Come on, praise and worship. Y'all ready this morning? Yeah. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of my King rise among us. Oh, let it rise. We're going to make a big choir this morning. Y'all ready? Let it rise, 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 let it rise
your glory rise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're such an awesome Savior. Hallelujah. Would you slip your hands all over the room? Thank you, Jesus. You are the King of glory. This is as a sign to surrender, not unto me, but unto our Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody have a personal testimony about how good God is? Did God ever bring you out of some things? He's so awesome. Thank you, Jesus. You are the king. Thank you, Jesus. You are the king of glory. worshipers anybody have true relationship with Christ thank you Jesus in your own voice in your own way would you magnify our Savior thank you Jesus we crossed over but we're entering into a new month soon I thank you Jesus I thank God for just him being so awesome thank you Jesus Yes, the world will bow down and say you are gone. Every man will bow down and say you are king. So let's start right now. Why would we wait? We can pray you now in victory slip your hands king of glory fill this place just want to be with you my lord just want to be with you We get out of routine and just worship our Savior. We worship you, Jesus. We bow down in adoration. You are holy. You are mighty. You are omnipotent. You are Jehovah. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hey, yes, the world will bow down and say, Come on, we're going to make a big choir all over the house. Every man will bow down and say, So let's go. can praise you now. Come on. In victory. Now shout it to God. King of glory. Feel this day. We just want to be. Just 
more time. Yeah, yes, the world will bow down and say. Every man will bow down and say, Bow down and say you are king. Come on, y'all. So let's stand by now. Why would we wait? We can praise your name. And victory. Come on, resurrection.
just a sanctuary but me, oh God. Hey, not just a sanctuary but me, oh God. Fill my place with more of you, Lord. Anybody want more of God? Would you slip your hands all over the house? We need you. Yeah, yeah. We're desperate for you. We gotta have you. Yeah. You're so awesome. Fill my place. We're about to move, but anybody can say, Fill my place. Hey, hey, say, Fill my place. Hey, everybody say, Fill my place. Say feel, feel my place. Everybody say feel my blood, feel my place. Fill us up till we overflow. Say, fill us up till we overflow. Say, hey, fill us up till we overflow. Say, fill us up till we overflow. Say, fill us up till we overflow. Say. Fill us up till we overflow, say Fill my place, oh God King of glory Fill this place
hands and tell them yes. I answer. see her again. Amen. I'm going to leave it like that. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, praise team. Come on, give God some love. Amen. We praise God for all of them. Amen. And you who came here today, ready. Did you come in empty, ready, ready to get filled? I, I, I got about five over there, 15 over here, 16, I'm sorry, 17. 18, okay, 20, 25, 30, okay. okay, let me, I need a number that I can't count. Anybody came here empty, ready to get filled? Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the privilege to be able to stand in your presence and call on your great name. We thank you for this great privilege. We do not take it for granted. Somebody didn't wake up this morning, but you touched us. 
as our ancestors would say, with the very fingertips of love. And you gave us another chance. This is the day that you've given us, and we want to rejoice and be glad in it. And so now, Lord, let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. We're going to get straight uh, to the word of God. Uh, we're still in the book of Esther. We're going to conclude our series uh, made for this moment. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. I don't know if you've been here the last few Sundays, but if I don't know anything else, come on, tell them I was made for this moment. Now go on and use your country voice and say, this right here, this here, boo, go on and say, yeah, I was made for this. Uh, I need some real saints in the house. I, I, I was made for this here, amen. Esther chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, and we're going to read into your hearing verses 1, 2, and 3. And it reads in the message translation, So the king and Haman went to dinner with Queen Esther. At this second dinner, while they were drinking wine, the king again asked, Queen Esther, I know it's not Valentine, but what would you like? <laughs> Half my kingdom, just ask, it's yours. Queen Esther answered and said, well, if I found favor in your eyes, O king, and if it pleases the king, give me my life and give my people their lives. The word of God for the people of God, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We've been in a series based on the book of Esther entitled Made for This Moment based on the belief that at least once in our lifetimes, every single one of us who are here today, God will provide for us a challenging moment of opportunity. And the only question is when your opportunity presents itself, will you be ready? Will you be ready? Because you were made for this moment. And so with the aid, assistance, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we want to tag this text with this title, Making Sense of Your Moment. Making Sense of Your Moment. Look at a neighbor. Find somebody real quickly and say, neighbor, it will all make sense. Come on, find him one more time. Look him in the eyes and say, in due season, it'll make sense. The term poetic justice, not the movie, was introduced by the English drama critic Thomas Reimer back in 1678. He coined the phrase to describe the work of literature uh, should inspire proper moral behavior in its audience by illustrating the triumph of good over evil. And he noted in his work that the reward of the virtuous and the punishment of the vicious requires that all characters reap the harvest of their just deserts. 
end quote. Similarly, my brothers and sisters, the scripture teaches us that ultimately justice, poetic and otherwise, are all in the hands of God. God will set the agenda, God will set things straight, and the timetable uh, is all up to God, but until then we must struggle in, with, and through injustice as we labor to make sense of the things that transpire. Eli Weasel, the great prize-winning writer on the Holocaust, tells the story as a child that he heard terrorizing sounds of death and viewed horrible sights of death, smelling burning flesh of heinous ovens, shocked by it all and terrorized by it all. He heard a man behind him groan, where is he? Where is God? And if we're not careful, I don't care how spiritual you are or how, how saved you think you might be, if we look at life through the lens, through the wrong lens, we too can ponder that same question, where is God? The God who we believe created the world. The God who we believe controls the world. The God who we believe completes this world often seems to stand by and permit chaos, confusion, corruption, to continue in the world, although he could step in at any time and stop it. And in this text, whose tapestry we have been trailing, we see this tension anew. We, when, when the king promoted Haman, God stayed silent. When Haman plotted to destroy the Hebrews, God stayed silent. When the king made an agreement with Haman, God stayed silent. When Mordecai pleaded with the queen to intervene, God stayed silent. When Haman ordered gallows built upon which he hoped to hang Mordecai, God stayed silent. However, our inability to see or hear God must never replace our inability to understand God. Let me say it differently. I didn't get enough amens. Although God is silent, God is always at work. Because listen, God doesn't do what he does to prove he is God. God does what he does because he is God. And we often place God in a box and confine him to our limited, finite understanding and ability. In other words, when it seems out of hand for us and our limited ability, we are prone to think that it's out of hand for God. In a sense, God's power and ability are limited to what we can see, hear, know, and understand. But let me allow you to say this. Let, can I say this? And we'll put it on record today. It's recorded. I'm glad that I serve a God that I cannot completely understand. Because if God was small enough for me to completely understand, then he wouldn't be big enough for me to worship and praise his name. Can I get a witness here? The next time you're convinced that a situation is hopeless, rest assured, my beloved, God is behind the scenes setting the table for the feast and he's preparing to serve us. So in the meantime, how do you make sense out of all this nonsense? Can I help you real quickly? First thing I want you to recognize is that the time comes up. Look at your neighbor and say, the time comes up. Follow me here because there are several things that stand out in the scripture that is Esther. One of them is that we never hear Mordecai or Esther 
question God through all the struggles, through all the hardships, through all the trials and challenges of their lives. Neither Mordecai nor Esther ever shake their fists in the face of God to challenge God or to question God. And I need to be clear, it's not sacrilegious to do so. Because the, some of the best known people in the Bible at times questioned God. Can I get a witness? Job questioned God when his life fell apart. Jeremiah questioned God when despite his faithfulness, his foes appeared to have had the upper hand. Jesus Christ questioned God. Y'all do remember while he was hanging on the cross, he screamed and shouted, why have you forsaken me? How, however saliently and silently in this scripture, both Mordecai and Esther inclusively trust that their time was God's time and that God's time was not their time, but when the time was right, God would right whatever's wrong. Y'all need to help me preach this. He'll right whatever's wrong and he will deliver God's people from immediate threat and imminent death. That time came in this uh, text. That time came and what we know here is that it, when it came, it was sovereignly orchestrated. Boy, it sounded a whole lot better than y'all giving me amens for it was sovereignly orchestrated. I'm in verse 1. The text says, so the king and Haman came to the banquet with Esther the queen. Up to this moment, realize every event in Esther 7 has transpired, not according to Persian time, but according to preeminent time. Anybody know anything about preeminent? Everything has taken place precisely and exactly as God deemed it so. When Haman signed the decree to exterminate the Jews, he sat down for afternoon cocktails to throw back a couple of shots of Hennessy with the king. And it seemed that his dastardly deed had gone unnoticed that God could have blinked his, here it is, he could have just blinked his eye and put a stop to it all. But instead, God permitted the plot to play out. And yet, while the plot played out, every character in every scene and storyline has God as the producer. He's the creator. He's the director, the writer. And we do not need to read God's name to notice God. God's nature. Can I get some help here today? God is employing everything as a chess master would deploy a pawn, aligning each piece on the set selectively, specifically, and sovereignly as God sees fit. And as far as Mordecai, Esther, and the Hebrews were concerned, it was late in the midnight hour. However, it's not that God wasn't aware of the time, but God was waiting for just the right time to step in and make sense out of nonsense. Often I smile and wonder when I hear people talk about hearing God and seeing God at work. Sometimes, honestly, I want to recommend a good therapist when I hear people say, I couldn't go to sleep and I got up in the middle of the night and made me some eggs and I looked in the skillet and I could see Jesus' face and that was that's all the confirmation I needed. Some, some people see angels and hear voices, see writing on the wall and in the sky, go to the grocery store with no money thinking money just going to fall out the aisle on a regular basis. I wish it were true, but the reality is you and I are locked into a tiny space uh, on the foggy lake of life called the present. Look at your neighbor and say, we live in the present because our entire perspective, y'all, is based on this moment in which we find ourselves. And we often speak of 
it in terms of the present and the past and the future. If we want to know the hour or the minute or the second, we look at our watch or we look at our phones. If we want to know the day, the month, or the year, we look at a calendar. Time is easily marked and carefully measured. Time, y'all, is objective. It's measurable. It's understandable and conceivable. However, God is not like that at all. God does not exist in time. I hate to... He, he, he lives in eternity. In fact, God exists and moves outside of the earthly realm of time and space. Beyond the ticking of the clocks and beyond the turning of the calendar, God knows no day. God has no night. God has no month. God knows no year. God has no past, no present, or future. God is. Here it is. And what is he? He's transcendent. Say transcendent. Oh, that's a college word. That just simply say that God is amazing and mysterious and He's an unfathomable being. Yes, he is. God transcends time, space, understanding, and comprehension. You can't wrap your mind around the reality that is God. God cannot be known. He can only be revealed. I need somebody to help me here. Because, see, we see our life in a sequence of frames moving from one to the other, almost like a movie. However, God sees the entire movie of our life all at once. Your past is present to God. Your, 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 your future is present to God. Even your present is present to God. I know that makes you want to scratch your head. God sees and oversees every single aspect of the drama that we call life. I know you can't wrap your brain around it. Even I can't. We, we are aware of the movie of our life. We're not aware of it until it comes into the space of time. However, God already conceived and crafted and wrote and directed and produced the movie of our life even before time existed. God selected the plot, the plan, the problem, and the people who all are going to make a guest appearance in the movie of your life. Ah, somebody ought to say amen. Listen, let me help you maybe right here. One of my favorite preachers, uh, Haddon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, once said, there's no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, God's children believe that sovereignty has, over, has ordained their afflictions, sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will ultimately sanctify them all. There is nothing, hear me well, I want my church to be biblically rich and, and not application poor, so hear this, hear this real good. There's nothing for which we should be more earnestly contending than the doctrine of the mastery of God over all creation, the kingship of God over the works in his hands, and the throne of God, and the right, and the right to sit up on the throne, for it is God upon whom the throne we trust. Maybe this will help you. I, I tried to share this at The Rock. Uh, uh, maybe this will help you to understand what I'm trying to get at because I came across this thing. It just interrupted my study. I had to go another three hours of study to add on to the other 18 to 25 to 30. I don't know how many hours I did, but it was all week long, and I, I, I looked at this. It caught my attention. It's called the Lincoln-Kennedy Coincidence. 
Maybe you've heard it. it. It's interesting. I found it very interesting that President Abraham Lincoln was elected in 1860 and then President John F. Kennedy was elected in 1960. Both lost children in the White House. Both men were shot in the head on Friday in the presence of their wives. Both were replaced by Southern Democratic senators named Johnson. Lincoln's successor was Andrew Johnson. He was born in 1808. Kennedy's successor was Lyndon Bain Johnson, who was born in 1908. Booth, Lincoln's assassin, was born in 1839. Uh, 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 Oswald, Kennedy's assassin, was born in 1939. Both assassins were assassinated themselves before going to trial. Lincoln's secretary was named Kennedy. Kennedy's secretary was named Lincoln. Secretary Kennedy advised Lincoln not to go to the theater. Secretary Lincoln advised Kennedy not to go to Dallas. Booth shot Lincoln in a theater and ran to a warehouse. Oswald shot Kennedy from a warehouse and ran to a theater. As I read that, it caught my attention. It arrested my attention of how amazing those coincidences were. But I came to tell you today, and I want to assure you before you walk out of here, that your life and my life are not governed by accidents, but by appointments. Okay, let me say it again. Your life and my life are not simply products of luck, but a product of the Lord. The Lord who created us, the Lord who conceived us, the Lord who crafted us and constructed us just the way that he wants us to be. If you are up against it and it makes no sense, know that God does not make mistakes. God does all things well. Can I get somebody to say, yes, he does. And when it's all said and done, God will have done everything that God said. Preach, Pastor Brown. The time was up because it was sovereignly orchestrated, but also because it was steadfastly appointed. Okay, okay, I got to explain that. Esther 7 broadcasts the banquet Esther had requested in chapter 5. Y'all did read this. Y'all did do your homework, right? Y'all knew I was going to preach this today, so y'all did read your Bibles, right? I, I don't have to try to explain all this, do I? Okay, I guess I do. Here it is. She goes in uninvited by the king taking her life and the lives of her people into her own hands. The king extended his scepter in her, 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 her presence uh, toward her, and by extending his scepter towards her, guaranteeing her life, he then hands her what is relatively, watch this, a blank check to fill in whatever she does. Somebody ought to say, mm, 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 mm. Sisters, keep looking up front. Keep looking. Don't, do, do not look next to the person. Oh, listen. Blank check. Esther could have spilled the beans right there that Haman, what he was doing. At, but at that very moment, she understood that that time was not the right time. So she waited on God, the God of her people, to work on behalf of her people. Don't miss that. Please don't grab that because that, that when the time is revealed the revealed time becomes the right time and when the right time becomes the revealed time Esther is steadfast in appropriating it and she does it through her unwavering courage because in verse 2 it says so the king and Haman went 
They both went to dinner with Queen Esther. At the second dinner, while they were drinking wine, the king asked again, Esther, what would you like? Let me just go on and give you some suggestions. You can have half of the kingdom. Just ask, and it's yours. The king had already asked her two times, and when he approached her the, the third time, when she, she first approached him, he held out his golden scepter, and, and then at the first banquet, but when Esther never answered him because the time was not right, Esther obviously had a sensitive ear and a discerning heart. I got to explain this because she sensed something wasn't quite right, so she didn't push. She knew when to act, and she knew how to wait. I need to stick a pin right there because one of the elements that's missing in all of us is the moment of discernment. Discernment is being able to sense when God is speaking and when God is silent. And can I tell you something? Just because God is silent doesn't mean God says no. When you pray and God ain't saying nothing, that don't mean he's not, just because he's silent doesn't mean he's saying no. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says go. Listen, I've often heard people say, well, I got a gut feeling. Can I tell you something about the gut? The gut, my brothers and sisters, is for digestion, not for discernment. All of us should pray for God to give us discernment. Can I, can, can I, can I, Holy Spirit directed discernment will tell you when to speak and when to listen and when to move and when to wait and when to stand up and when to sit down and when to shut your mouth. Don't permit yourself to be in such a hurry that you allow your desire to override your discernment. Just because something is available or attainable does not mean that it is God's will or that it is God's time. Don't permit your want to override God's will. Don't let your want take precedence over God's will. Let God work it out. So Esther, I I, I, I ain't lost where I am. Esther had been asked on two previous occasions what she desired, but the third time was a charm. The third, look at verse three. The third time is in verse three. Queen Esther answered, if I found favor in your eyes, O king, I'm sorry. If it pleases you, my king, give me my life and give my people their lives. Verse 4, we've, we've been sold and, 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 and I and my people to be destroyed, sold, to be massacred, eliminated. If we had just been sold off to slavery, I wouldn't have even brought it up. Our troubles wouldn't have been worth bothering the king. But here, listen, y'all. Finally, the truth of Esther's ethnicity and nationality becomes known. She's now ready to be who she really is. But I'm going to give y'all this one for free. If you was at the rock and you get in the remix, here it is. Here it is. You ready? Be who God made you and stop trying to be who people want you to be. If people can't accept you the way you are, tell them that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. Ah, I wish I had somebody here to help me with that. Tell them I can only be me and I'm the best me there ever was. There'll never be another be just like me. You ought to go on and celebrate who you are right now. Just thank God for giving you what you got. And can I tell you something? Work with what you have. Go on, work it. Tell them I, I, 
can work with this because this right here, it, it may not be much to you, but it's a whole lot to me. And whatever God gave me, I'm going to work it. <laughs> ah, ah, I got some more I could add, but I got to move on. I got to preach this, and here it is. Here it is. Unashamedly, she stands before a foreign king and identified herself among the people of God, admitting she is of Hebrew descent to a man who had given permission to, for the Hebrews to be destroyed. And, for, and she, listen, uh, uh, even her closest relatives probably would have recommended that she not do that, but she's standing there in unwavering conviction and courage against all odds. And we've got to wonder today, here is the spiritual part right here. Here it is. How many of us would have the courage to confess our identity, our faith, and our values in hostile conditions with courage and condition. Courage and conviction. Listen, because many of us, even when we walk outside of here, we camouflage our Christianity. We blend in, don't we? We, we, we work to blend in and fit in in the hopes that we can get in. I'm reminded of a story of a young man uh, uh, who enlisted in the military. His father had been a soldier. He knew and perceived that his, his son was, 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 a, was a believer and that he would be ridiculed. He's going into hostile environment. And he's going to be harassed for being a person of faith and, and wanted to prepare him for the experience like dads do. He told his son about all the trials that he would face and, and things that he would endure. The young man uh, reported to his assignment, had some fear now and some trepidation and and some consternation. And after he completed his basic training, he received a letter from his father. His father asked him how things were going and what his experience had been as a person of faith. The young man couldn't wait to write back. Oh, Dad, everything is going great. I haven't had any trouble at all here because fortunately, nobody here has found out yet that I'm a Christian. Some got it, some didn't. I know. But my question is, how about you? Does anybody besides the folk in here know that you are a Christian? When you, when you get cut off, a car shoots in front of you, do they know the car that just got in your lane by accident? Can they tell by your response that you are a Christian? But the, the person who jumped in front of you in the line at the grocery store, can they, can they, can they testify that there goes a Christian, when your child gets hurt on the football field and, and you respond, the coach does not call the right play or the referee does not, can they tell that you, I wish I had some, when the bank gives you the wrong amount back and when the job wants you to work more time than you are worth and nobody gives you, can people tell outside? I'm not talking about in here. We, we all look spiritual in here. Some of y'all got your halo too bright. I can't even see out there. You charged it up last night. You got crosses bigger than the one that Jesus died on hanging around your neck. But I'm talking about on the outside. Can anybody tell? I'm not talking about the bumper sticker on your car. I'm, I'm not talking about the stuff, that's the t-shirts that you wear in church. Yeah, Christian, yeah, perfect, no, forgiven, yeah, worthy, no. I'm not talking about all that stuff. I, I'm talking about can anybody tell outside of the building that you are a Christian? I need somebody who will confess I'm not trying to be camouflaged. I ain't trying to be on the down low. Everybody else coming out, so it's time for me to come out. Where's Diana Ross when you need her? 
I'm coming out. I want the world to know. Listen, too many of us, y'all sit down for a moment, that have gone undetected. But Esther stood up and she stepped forward with unwavering courage, but also with unselfish compassion. Oh, I like this. Verse 3, Queen Esther answered again, If I found favor in your eyes, O king, if it pleases the king, give me my life. Wait, here it is. And give my people their lives. Asking for her life was one thing. But asking for the lives of her people revealed her unselfish compassion. And if we were to be honest today, most of us, uh, if we were in Esther's shoes, only, we would only think about saving ourselves. And for everybody else, well, I guess you on your own. But hear me when I say this, a life submitted to the will of God, y'all, thinks more of itself. Because we know that God is our protector and provider. The true test of our spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness, y'all, is when we are moved to look out for others and not just look out for ourselves. I got to be honest with you. One of my favorite ministries in the church, okay, I, I, I said it, are the people on the parking lot and the people who greet you before you come inside the sanctuary. Oh, you can clap if you want to. Never take ushers and greeters for granted. I like that. It's even in the word of God. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. There's something special about not taking other people for granted. And, and it was in December 2020 in the issue of the New Yorker magazine the magazine harshly criticized many churches for not taking the pandemic seriously. Churches, men of God, people of God, refusing to follow basic protocols and precautions. There were no statistics available. We're still trying to write this stuff, y'all. How many churches complied and how many churches defied lockdown protocols? But the magazine said something that was real insightful. The magazine went on to say in 2020, many churches realized that the best way that they could show love to their neighbors and show compassion was to temporarily shut their doors. They must have got word about what we were doing. And hear me today, the true test of our spiritual height is the depth of our spiritual compassion for others. Can you see anybody other than yourself? Can you feel the need to help somebody other than yourself? How do we make sense out of all this nonsense? Well, you got to recognize the time is up. But not only that the time is up, because when the time is up, the truth comes out. Did you hear what I just said? When the time is up, the truth comes out. Verse 4. She says, my people will be sold to be massacred and eliminated. If, if we had just been sold off into slavery, I wouldn't have brought it up. Our troubles wouldn't have been worth bothering the king over. And then when you stop right there, you realize that without saying it, she's openly, she's not really openly accusing him, uh, which, not, which would not have been wise, but she's implicating him. She's implicating, y'all, the king in a horrible, 
horrendous crime. The king recognized and that he had impetuously approved Haman's decree, but he didn't realize that the decree was part of a larger conspiracy. He had signed a death warrant for the wife that he loved. And so now he has to find a way to save his wife, to save face at the same time, because he knows that he owes a debt of gratitude to all the Hebrews. Mordecai, a Hebrew himself, had uncovered a plot to assassinate the king, and he was promoted to a position of great prominence as reward. Esther, a Hebrew, was the apple of his eye. He had been stricken by her frame, her form, her fashion, her finesse. She was fine as wine in the summertime. I'm sorry, that just slipped out. And when the king heard that plan he, that had been devised to exterminate the Hebrews, including Esther, and learned that he was also a part of it, he knew he must act and act. He does. Suddenly, y'all hear me well. This is going to get you. The wheels of justice that had grind ever so slowly began to pick up speed as the truth came out about the wicked works of Haman. He's roundly exposed to the king. Verse 5, King Xerxes explodes. Who is he? Where is he? The moment that Esther had ever been so patiently waiting for has finally come an enemy, an adversary. It's in the word. This evil Haman said Esther. Haman was terror-stricken before the king and the queen. The king had countless decisions to make. Haman was a trusted advisor. He was a top official. The king had impetuously signed this order, this decree that Haman, a man he trusted, knew already what he was doing. But suddenly things changed. Okay, I can't get this right. There's a rhythm to this, so I got to emphasize this word right. Suddenly, things change. I I still didn't get it right because it would have just hit you. You would have had a joke. Suddenly, things change. You you do know that, 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 that that you got to be prepared for how God moves because God moves suddenly. I I need about 10 people who can testify that suddenly God can turn it around, that suddenly God can flip the script, that suddenly God can reverse the curse. It doesn't take long. He can do it faster than right now and sooner than at once because God can not only do anything, God can undo anything. God can move a nation. God can shift a paradigm. God can change a mind. God can warm a heart. God can impact the decisions. God can alter attitudes. Won't he do it? I said, won't he do it? There's no barrier too big for God. There's no chasm too deep for God. There's, I wish I had Tammy Terrell right here. There's no mountain high enough and no valley wide enough. To, there's no battle too difficult. There's no debt too exorbitant. There's no virus too viral. There's no disease too potent for the Lord to dispose. God specializes in doing the impossible, and he will do what no other power can do. Can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? When Esther exposed Haman to the king, it dawned on him that the very man he trusted was actually his enemy. Don't miss that the man who he thought was a friend was actually his enemy. The the man who was sitting next to him on the front row, I wish I had, was actually his enemy. The man he had exalted to a place of special leadership 
in the kingdom was his adversary. The man who he gave his reign to seal a death warrant was the man who was going to kill the wife of whom he loved and treasured. Pick me up in verse 7 because it says the king raging left his wine. Y'all know the king had to be mad to leave his wine. Y'all did read the book, didn't you? He left his wine. Stomped out into the palace guard. Haman stood there pleading with the queen for his life. He could see that the king was finished with him and that he was doomed. That's interesting because Haman was furious because a Hebrew man wouldn't bow down to him. But now Haman is prostrate, stretching all the way out, kneeling all the way down to a Hebrew woman begging for his life. Old people used to say it like this, be careful in life because chances go round and the same faces you see climbing up, you're gonna have to look at them on the way back down. What goes around comes around. Things only got worse for Haman. Verse eight, as the king returned to the room, he found Haman on the couch where Esther was reclining. He walks in, he's begging. And the king says, After all he's done, after all you've done, it's in the, it's in the text. Y'all need to read those different translations. You got the nerve to molest my wife, my queen, in my presence, I got to cut you. <laughs> I got some friends that talk like that. I'm trying to get them saved. It's all over for Haman, tragically. Yet truthfully, Haman reminds us that we reap what we sow, that we reap after we sow, that we reap later than we sow, and then we reap more than we sow. Somebody better grab that because a few chapters earlier, like so many others since him, Haman thought he was above the law. Y'all, 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 I'm telegraphing some stuff out there. He, he, he thought that he had executive privilege that the law didn't apply to him. Y'all do know we got some folk around. That, that, but now he's throwing himself on the mercy of the court because he had to ex he'd been exposed to the king in front of everybody. But then after being exposed to the king, he was summarily deposed by the king. The time had come up. The truth had come out. And now the party is over. Verse 8. It's ironic because the king roared while he... Uh, Will he molest the queen while I'm around the corner? And when the word left the king's mouth, all the blood drained from Haman's face. Another translation says that, that they covered his face. I found that ironic too because in the previous chapter, Haman had covered his face in humiliation. And now he's being covered in condemnation. Verse 9, Harbana, one of the eunuchs, was attending to the king and he spoke up and said, it, 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 is that one of the gallows? Yeah, right there. The one that Haman built for Mordecai. You know Mordecai, the one that saved the king's life. Right next to Haman's house, there it is. 75. 
five feet tall. And the king said, hang him on it. I'm done. God bless you. Let's take up an offering. <coughs> Y'all ready to give? Okay, you want some more? Haman was hanged on the very gallows that he had built for Mordecai. And the king's hot anger cooled. <clears throat> Y'all hear me when I say this. Remember the earlier definition I gave you of poetic justice? That the rewards of the virtuous and the punishment of the vicious require that all characters reap the harvest of their just deserts. Y'all, this text is poetic justice at its finest. The rewards of the virtuous, the punishment of the vicious. This is poetic justice. Haman is hanged on the very gallows he prepared to hang somebody else. And because, listen, be careful how you plot and scheme against others. Oh, here's a word of encouragement. And don't you worry about how people plot and scheme against you. I don't know who's been plotted on. I don't know who's been schemed against. But I need to give you this here, right? You can walk out of here and shouting. You can go to Papa Do's shouting all the way to your table as you get ready to order your uh, etouffee shrimp. And that is God will have the last word. I heard somebody say it before today. The arc of the universe is long, but it's bent towards justice. Don't worry about your enemies. Don't worry about your adversaries. Don't focus on those who plot against you. Keep your eyes on God. I'm done. I'm finished preaching. But I got to share this with you because my favorite, one of my favorite cartoons, actually one of my favorite animators, uh, 1948, an animator by the name of Chuck Jones introduced to the world two iconic characters. One of them was named Wild E. Coyote. The other one was named The Roadrunner. And I grew up watching The Roadrunner and Wild E. Coyote. I don't know why I watched it because every scene was the same scene. The only thing the roadrunner was able to do was just run and say beep, beep. The roadrunner never had much to say. I kept watching it thinking one day the roadrunner is going to speak, but the roadrunner only said beep, beep and ran down the road. While E. Coyote, though, he was obsessed with trying to capture the roadrunner. All oh, you young people, y'all need to go get look at that on YouTube. He was trying to catch the roadrunner. Why? He was trying to catch the roadrunner. He would do things to try to trap the roadrunner and try to kill the roadrunner and try to contain the roadrunner and try to hurt the roadrunner. And listen, he had every advantage. As I watched the cartoon, it always made me wonder, how did he have all these unlimited resources? Because it seemed like he had unrestricted access to Acme products of all types and descriptions. 
He was so extremely intelligent because he created on one, more than on one occasion, he would have all these foolproof schemes and try to take the road runner out. But for 75 years, plotting on the road runner, for 75 years, he'd been working to assassinate the road runner. For 75 years, he's been trying to plant bombs to take the road runner out, but yet everything he's tried has failed. And if you watch the cartoon carefully, you'll notice that the road runner never intentionally tries to avoid the coyote. He never tries to sidestep or get around the coyote schemes. He just has one job, and that is to keep his eyes focused on the road. He doesn't argue with the coyote. He doesn't try to have a conversation with the coyote. He just keeps his eyes on the road. Come here for a moment because if you're living the life that I'm living and uh, the one that I'm living and the one that you're living, all of our lives has some wild E coyotes in it. But if you just stay on the road, even though the enemy plots, just stay on the road. Even though there's some schemes, just stay on the road. Even if there's some traps, if you stay on the road, you'll be able to keep going no matter what they do. When the enemy sets a trap for you, you ought to be like the road runner and just say beep beep and keep on going. The next time they devise a scheme against you, just say beep beep and keep on going. God will see you through. Just trust in the Lord. Won't he do it? I said, won't he do it? because he did it for Jesus. They set traps for him. They tried to assassinate him. They tried to take him out and tried to take him down and tried to trip him up, but he just stayed on the course until they hung him high and they stretched him wide and they dropped him low and he hung his head and then he died, but he was not defeated. He was not destroyed. He was not dismantled and he was not distracted because early Sunday morning he got up with all power in his hands and God made sense of it all. It didn't make sense in Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It didn't make sense in Micah. It didn't make sense in Nahum. It didn't make sense in Nehemiah. It didn't make sense in Isaiah. It didn't make sense in Jeremiah. And it didn't make much sense in Esther, Ruth, and Job. Didn't make sense in the Old Testament. And they close it out in Malachi, but it began to make sense. Matthew said it makes sense. Mark said it makes sense. Luke said it makes sense. John said it makes sense. It made sense because Paul got a hold of it and said early Sunday morning, they raised him up with all power and gave him a name like no other name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. At the name of Jesus, every tongue confess. Yeah, stay on the road. I said, stay on the road. Don't get distracted, but just stay on the road. Don't get depressed, just stay on the road. Don't be disappointed, just stay on the road because he will 
Won't he come through? I said, won't he do it? God will take care of you. Say yes, yes, yes. I know he'll make a way out of no way. I'm glad that I decided to make Jesus my choice. Clouds may rise, wind may blow, but I decided to make Jesus my choice. Is there anybody here that love my Jesus? Don't fool me now. If you really love him, you ought to stand on your feet and act like he blessed you. Oh, I, I need somebody that will praise him like he blessed you. If the Lord gave you a crazy blessing, you ought to give God a crazy praise. Praise him. Praise him from whom all blessings go. Praise him here below. Praise him. Praise him. Can I give you five reasons to give him praise? He woke you up this morning. That's reason number one. He woke you up this morning. That's reason number two. He woke you up this morning. That's reason number three. He woke you up this morning. That's reason number four. Here's the fifth one. He woke you up this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice. been paying attention but Pastor Brown has truly not just has he been preaching he has been teaching if you have not learned anything in this series man I feel sorry for you we're gonna keep praying for you Pastor Brown has preached a relevant word and the Bible says that this word will not, will not return void will not go out void so if you're here on today, and this word that we just heard has spoken to you, this is your opportunity, this is your moment to respond to this invitation to accept Christ. You know you need, you know you need to be a part of the family, the family of God. Accepting Christ as your Savior is a very easy process. We say it each and every week. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit that you need God and without Him you are lost in sin. B, believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for our sins. And then C, confess. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Savior and Lord of your life. You know, it's our mission here at Resurrection to reach the lost at any cost. 
will not leave this worship experience until we've given each and every one of you the opportunity to accept Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. two options. You can come down this aisle right now and we will walk with you and the sheriffs will tell you what it means to be a part of the family of God and a member of this church. If you're listening to us online, you can text the word JOIN to 830-689-8074. This invitation is always for those who believer and if you're looking for a place to worship and connect with other spiritually, Pastor Brown and the Resurrection family would be ready to receive you and walk with you on your spiritual journey. Two options. Come down the aisle and we'll walk with you. Or text the word JOIN to 830-689-8074. family and keep in mind that this invitation never ends it never ends now we've worshiped God in praise we worship him in prayer the gospel proclamation and now it's time we worship him with our presence our gifts and it's a joyful act of giving God loves a cheerful Your commitment and your obedience in giving has made it possible for this church to continually invest in the kingdom-building work in which we do. Because of your giving, the gospel is shared. Disciples are trained in the community and the world is blessed because of that. And we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you. You can give electronically through PushPay by texting RBC1 to 77977. 
and follow the instructions to give today. You can also give as you exit the sanctuary or you can mail it in or drop it off anytime here at the church location. Thank you for all that you've done as you continue to give to this ministry. Thanks again, Pastor Brown. Thank you. Powerful words, powerful words. Thank you for reminding us that God has positioned us at this unique time and this unique space to be a blessing to the kingdom. And we want to thank you for that. And as always, our sincere prayer goes to restoring all who have poured out in prayer, preparation, and preaching. Now, as we prepare to leave this place and enjoy our family, today I want to quick make a quick announcement. This evening at 6 p.m., we are going to be we are going to be ordaining ministers. Ordination for those that don't know is the time we we consecrate those from the laity to clergy. And I can tell you honestly, it is a moment as a minister you will never forget. And it means nothing more to the ministers that are being ordained than to have their church family in the presence when this happens. So I want to encourage you to come out tonight. I know it's football on tonight, but come out tonight and uh, you get to put on your suits and your dresses and get G'd up. Is, is, where's Jamie at? Jamie, is that still what they say, G'd up? Or it's drip. Is that what they say now? You get to get dripped out, I guess. I think that's what they say now. You get to put on some church clothes, is what I'm trying to say. Put on some church clothes and come on out as we celebrate those ministers that are going to be ordained. Now let us stand as we prepare to recite our church vision statement together. Resurrection, who are we? Servants of Christ, developing followers of the Christ who share the love of Christ. May we pray. Father God, once again, we want to say thank you for this opportunity that you have given us to worship you, dear God, to celebrate you, dear God. Dear God, we want to thank you for those that are have came and given their life to you, dear God, and those that are still making decisions, dear God, we ask you to continue to move in their life. Dear God, we want to thank you as we leave this place, but never from your presence. Go with us and stand by us. Henceforth, now and forevermore, let every heart say, amen.